Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Supernatural George. I'm Mittens, and today we are going to be discussing Season 4, Episode 5, Monster Movie, a straightforward black-and-white case, written by Ben Edlund and directed by Robert Singer. I love this episode. The only episode of the entire series that is filmed in black and white, and it's goofy. It's just not what you're expecting at all. I don't think I have to belabor the point that there is nothing straightforward about this case. I mean, yes, it is just a Monster of the Week episode, and it's not angels and demons and the apocalypse and myth arc stuff. It is a pretty straightforward case for poor Dean, who's just come back from hell and is trying to feel normal about anything. The only thing truly black and white about it is the film it was shot on. Nothing is as it seems on the surface, and that is one of my favorite things about this show, that if you look just under the surface, oh gosh, it's not really, you know, a vampire, it's not really a wolf man, it's not really a mummy. Like, a mummy? What? <laughs> That's not something they ever really think of as a monster anywhere else in the entire series. And it's part of what gives the trick of the whole thing away. I've talked before, going back to one six Skin, the very first Shapeshifter episode, that shapeshifters tend to be in episodes that are about Dean and his issues, because shapeshifters are primarily about identity issues. I mean, think about it. A creature with no true identity of its own that survives by taking on multiple other identities. The fact they always become obsessed with Dean specifically is rather telling about Dean himself. There's a great post in my tag on Tumblr that I'll link to in the description for this one, but this episode is almost unbearably queer as well. Everything from a shapeshifter that's just as comfortable in a female presenting form as a male one. Also in this episode, Sam guesses Dean's favorite movie is Porky's 2. And what a guess for a guy who so often apparently just buys in wholesale to Dean's manly man persona that he puts on a lot. I don't know if anybody is familiar with the plot, but there is a detailed post on my blog going into why that's significant, because I actually have seen it, (laughs) unfortunately. It's an absolutely wackadoodle movie, but it's not like the original Porky's where their goal is just to get laid. But this is how queer coding works. I should probably make a whole podcast episode just about the Hayes Code and queer coding and supernatural and the history of it and why it works in the show. And that we're not just, you know, saying random shit about, oh, yeah, that makes it queer. No, that's not. (laughs) I have a whole tag for that on my blog, so I will link that as well. Nobody is suggesting that Dean is queer because he likes Porky's too. But taken as a whole within the narrative, where Dean tries to deny things that are coded as female or queer, and then subsequently admits later on that, yes, these are true things about him, it goes toward a series-long pattern of Dean not speaking the truth about himself openly in these very specific contexts. And that in itself is queer coding. And again, why the ultimate identity issues monster is always used to reveal things about Dean to us and often to himself. Then there's Dracula. I know a lot of folks have been reading along with Dracula Daily recently and possibly reading a lot of the meta being written about it, but there is an inherent queerness in that story too. The one the shapeshifter most identifies with 
despite him also using other movie monsters to try out other literal roles for himself, he ultimately returns to Dracula again and again, and that is his, like, main character. That's the film he's trying to act out for himself. One more thing about shapeshifters that we were discussing in the Discord server this week, and a reminder to folks that the Discord server exists. <laughs> shapeshifters are just about the only monster that doesn't actually need to feed on humans or really harm humans at all. The ones we've seen kill in canon do so out of a sense of anger or because they feel like they don't fit into human society. They often, like this shapeshifter this week, refer to broken childhoods, being thrown out by family, which is understandable when we see in later seasons how they generally reproduce. <laughs> Impregnating a woman by dubious consent and then possibly allowing her to raise the child unbeknownst to her and the man she believed to be the father. And then it begins shifting and difficulties ensue. And how would you even explain that to a pediatrician? But uh, I guess we should wait until season six when we actually have a baby shapeshifter to talk about the, all this stuff. But I mean, just imagine. Uh, but despite all that, they can choose just as easily to lead mostly normal lives. Like once they gain control of their ability to shapeshift, they could pick a form and just stick with it. Nothing says they have to shapeshift or that they have to have multiple identities or that it has to be violent. They're not inherently violent. They could even use their ability for good, like Mia Valens in season 13. She becomes a therapist. And honestly, I wish we had more shapeshifters who were like her or more characters even that are just psychologists and who specialize in monsters and understands the hunting world and understands what the trauma that all of these beings have gone through, as well as just having shapeshifters who are moderately well-adjusted citizens living normally amongst humans, if that's what they really want. They could have that if they chose to. But we also get this monster this week, this shapeshifter, who is desperate to rewrite all the old monster narratives that he sees himself as the central figure in. He's the monster, right? That's what he's been told since he was a child. But monsters are always the villains of the piece in old horror movies. And he wants to make himself into the hero, to make himself the winner in his own story. And in the end, of course, he fails because he can't force others to bend to his will. He can't force Jamie to be his Mina. He can't defeat them. And he can't force them to be who he wants them to be because free will and all that, you know. And in that context, with the series finale and Chuck and what he was trying to do to write Team Free Will into the story the way he wanted them to enact it for him, it's kind of a similar concept, right? It's definitely frustrating when the monster clearly loses in this episode. And yet Chuck kind of got everything he wanted from the Winchesters. It's infuriating. Let's talk about another way that the series finale is a loss for everybody. <sighs> but we're not going to dwell on that too hard today. Let's also give Jamie a shout out for basically having a life that Dean would have envied when Michael was trying to control Dean. And he put Dean into a scenario where he was tending bar along with a great pal who wasn't what she really appeared to be on the surface. Just like poor Jamie. 
who was tending bar with a great pal and who was nothing what she appeared to be on the surface. And just like Dean at Rocky's, when the supernatural invaded her bar, Jamie ended up doing the killing. She had a little help, but, you know, she took control of that situation, just like Dean did in in Rocky's, which is just remarkably well-adjusted. You know, I can't even imagine what her life must have been like after Dean left. She had a wonderful night with him, and then he left forever and never contacts her again for the rest of the series. But did she ever encounter the supernatural again? Did she just keep working at the bar? Did she leave that town and find something completely unrelated? Did she ever stumble into the supernatural? Heck, did she ever pick up one of the supernatural books and think, wait a second, this is me. This this happened to me. Wait, what? <laughs> but there's a lot of characters in Supernatural who I wonder... If, did they ever find the Supernatural books? Because that would be awesome. But she's one that I've actually written a fic along that lines of her finding the Supernatural books and finding, wait, there's more to this. But if anyone wants to read that, it's called Worst Case Scenario. And I think I've mentioned it before because it has a bunch of other characters from other episodes in it as well. Although none from any episodes we've seen yet. Next week's episode has a character who's also in that fic. Anyway, we'll wait for that one for next week. We've got some interesting bonus materials for this episode. We have casting sides for Jamie and Dracula, and they're both interesting. In Jamie's casting sides, Sam is partnered with some dude named Nick, who has all of Dean's lines in the episode. And in the Dracula pages, Dracula refers to Sam as Harker when it's Dean in the episode. Because when they were casting for this episode, the fact that Dean was alive and out of hell was still a spoiler. This was only the fifth episode of the season, and it would have been casting before the season premiere premiered. (laughs) They were just trying to keep that all under wraps. There's also two promo videos that miraculously still work on YouTube. Little 15 second things. There's also an interview with the actor who plays Dracula. The Draculactor. Dean would probably appreciate that, even if nobody else does. I have to find it, though. The link that on the Super Wiki is dead, so I must find it somewhere else. If I do find it, I will link it. All that said, this episode doesn't have a then segment. It just starts off like an old-timey horror movie with the dramatic score playing and the opening title credits and a special title card that makes it look like an old movie. And then as we pan down from the moon through the spooky forest, we see the Impala and the dramatic music that had been playing all of a sudden is now coming from the Impala's stereo. Dean even comments about it like they don't even have a decent radio station around here and turns the radio off. Before we get into that, I might be a little bit scatterbrained today because I realized that my brain is just not working the same since I had COVID. I am 100% healthy again, except my brain just does not work right. <laughs> and it's frustrating. I keep thinking I've done something or doing thing. Like I'll start a sentence and I'll think I've completed it, but I will not have. It was really frustrating trying to write last night because I would just leave words half typed. And I'd go back and I'd reread it and I'd be like, what the hell is this garbage? So if I'm a little bit flakier than usual today, which is really saying something, or if I leave something huge out, (laughs) please forgive me. I'm trying to make my brain work better, but it just ain't doing. 
<laughs> so, to the best of my ability, I now present Monster Movie. As Sam and Dean are driving, they drive past the sign that says, Welcome to Pennsylvania. And as lightning flashes, the sign flashes to Transylvania and then back to Pennsylvania, which is hilarious. Dean is trying to get Sam interested in and excited about the case. They've got a victim who had their neck gnawed on and a witness who swears it was a vampire. And Dean's like, this is an easy one. We know what it is. We can go in and take care of it. Sam's like, I know, but the world's ending and things are really complicated. And Dean's pressing forward into this case because this is what they do. They hunt monsters, chop the vampires' heads off, and they drive back out of town. Easy peasy. They can save some people without any sort of fuss. And it sounds great on the surface, even though Sam would rather be worried about saving the whole world because apocalypse. Dean's like, yeah, but we can't save the world today, but we can save some people in this town by taking care of their vampire problem. Sam and Dean arrive at this little town square that's in the middle of having their Oktoberfest. It's all decked out like beer and pretzels and the polka band and the bandstand. People dressed up in Oktoberfest-themed costumes and lots of tourists just milling around. Meanwhile, Sam and Dean are in their FBI suits looking mighty out of place for Oktoberfest. Dean mentions to Sam that they need to see the new Raiders movie, Indiana Jones. And I believe they say Raiders here because they could not say Indiana Jones for legal reasons. But Sam has already seen it. Dean's like, what, without me? And Sam's like, uh, you were in hell. I didn't know that you were going to come back and demand to want to see it too. Dean buys a couple of huge pretzels. Sam smiles like he's glad to see Dean this interested in anything, this upbeat about anything. While they're eating their pretzels, Jamie the waitress walks by and says, Guten Tag, and smiles at Dean. He says it back at her, and he watches her walk away, and she turns around and smiles back at him. So she started the flirting here. But I mean, that's part of her job as the waitress at an Oktoberfest is to get along with the customers. But she does seem very interested in Dean, even now, when she doesn't even know who he is at all. As she walks past, they spot the sheriff that they need to talk to about their victim. Sam introduces them as Agents Angus and Young. Angus Young is the guitar player from ACDC. The sheriff takes them out of the square and into the morgue to see the body. He's got a thing about this being peak tourist season, and this poor girl came into town for the festival, and it's not what they need. Sam's like, well, it's definitely not what she needed. Ha ha. She's dead now. Maybe think a little bit about that before you worry about tourist season in town. The sheriff turns her head to the side, and the dramatic music lets us know that we should be paying attention. She's got two very tidy tooth marks, like your standard vampire and pretty much any other piece of media would leave on someone's neck. Not like vampires in Supernatural, whose bites look torn up. So Sam and Dean are immediately like, okay, this is weird. And the sheriff is just like, yeah, this is some Satan worshiping Anne Rice reading vampire wannabe. And Sam and Dean, meanwhile, think this isn't even our kind of case. This is just some guy posing as a vampire. But there is a witness, Ed Brewer, 
And the sheriff describes him as unreliable, which is a great start to their already murky case, but they're going to do their due diligence, even though they're pretty convinced it's at least not a real vampire. I almost forgot in the additional items segment of this podcast, I should have mentioned that there are two cut scenes. The cut scene is Sam and Dean walking from talking to the sheriff back over to find Ed Brewer, basically saying what I was just saying about this definitely not seeming like their kind of vampire, that maybe it's nothing supernatural at all. They walk past the beer hall and Dean's like, that place looks fun. And Sam's like, yeah, later. So (laughs) considering the very next scene is them walking into said beer hall, I guess that's why they cut that scene since they're meeting Ed Brewer inside. Sam and Dean walk up to the bar where Jamie, the woman who'd said guten tag to Dean earlier, is tending bar. First words out of her mouth, I remember you. And Dean's like, yeah, I never forget a pretty everything. So they're both now flirting with each other officially. Poor Sam is just left to stand in the background like, oh God. (laughs) When Dean and Sam pull out their badges and Dean introduces them as feds, and says that they're investigating a crime, Jamie's like, huh, really? You don't come off like feds. Instead of Dean just letting it slide, he's trying to get into it. He's trying to make it more flirtatious with her. He's like, yeah, well, I'm a maverick. And he goes off and just starts sounding like an idiot. And the reaction shot cuts to Sam. And Sam's like, what the hell are you talking about, Dean? Just shut up, you idiot. But it doesn't hurt his chances too badly with Jamie. Sam finally cuts Dean off before he can make any bigger of a fool of himself and asks where they can find Ed Brewer. He's sitting over across the room with a giant beer stein that he keeps taking swigs out of as he describes what he had witnessed. And Sam and Dean sit across the table going like, right, to everything he says. Ed starts off by saying, why would you believe me? Nobody believes me. And Dean has to insist that, no, we are different. We're not everybody else. We will believe you. Ed wasn't believed by the sheriff because there's no such thing as vampires. And he's not about to be not really believed by Sam and Dean because there's no such thing as Dracula specifically. There is such a thing as vampires. But this guy ain't it. Ed describes to them that just like he does every night, he cut through the park and saw what he thought was a couple kissing until he got closer and realized that the woman was struggling and the man was biting her neck. He already said he walks through this park every night. So if the Dracula had wanted a witness, he knew he would have one in Ed Brewer. Not a very reliable witness, but someone to make his story get told. Even if nobody believed him, the story would be out there. Sam and Dean ask Ed to describe the person he saw, and Ed's just like, it was a vampire. Dean kind of asks him to clarify what he means by a vampire, and he describes it as a vampire, just, you know, like a vampire. And he finally starts describing as, you know, the slick back hair and the fancy cape and the little medallion thing and And Dean's like, what what do you mean, like a Dracula? And the guy's like, yeah, like a Dracula. So a specific category of vampire, not what Sam and Dean normally think of as a vampire. There was a 
little communications gap there. Because when they say vampire, they have they mean something very specific. But when normal people who don't live as supernatural hunters <laughs> say vampire, they probably think Bella Lugosi is <laughs> Dracula. Ed goes on to describe his voice as being right down to the accent. Stay away, mortal. The night is mine. <laughs> Meanwhile, across the bar... Jamie is talking with her co-worker, Lucy, who blots her lipstick on a napkin as they talk about this weird case. Lucy comments something about Ed Brewer being crazy, and Jamie's like, oh, he's not crazy. She's kind of sympathetic toward him. And Lucy comments back that, yeah, that's only because he's got a crush on you and he tips you in 20s. Dean comes over to the bar and orders himself a drink because The case is just not weird enough for him to take, that it's not their kind of case. Sam picks up the napkin that Lucy had blotted her lipstick on and just looks at it, which is a clue for later for us, the audience, in the style of old movies of this era. (laughs) They begin to discuss what they think of this case, which is not a heck of a lot. Dean and Sam sit down at a table and Dean's like, yeah, well, even if it's not our kind of case... We're here. It's Oktoberfest. The room's paid for. Beer and bar wenches. Sam's like, I don't think women appreciate being called wenches. And Dean shouts out to prove his point. Bar wench, where's my beer? And Jamie sings songs back at him. It's coming up, good sir. Proving Dean's point that, yes, this is just part of the shtick of this sort of event. And Sam is just appalled by it. He thinks Dean is just digging himself a bigger hole with her. He thinks it's hilarious when Dean gets shot down by her in a moment, but she already had plans for that night. Dean tells her that Sam doesn't drink. After Dean gets shot down, he's like, oh man, it's time to right some wrongs, and Sam doesn't understand what Dean is talking about, so Dean explains. Everything on him, all his scars, all his crooked fingers from having his fingers broken, everything is healed like he's brand new, which means he's a virgin in his mind. I have no idea how that works, but okay, whatever. (laughs) But he insists. Sam thinks he's ridiculous that no angel could even do that. Dean just keeps insisting, though. Eventually, Sam's like, okay, yeah, you just do what you have to do. I'm going back to the room to get some sleep. Have fun, whatever. And Dean just stays by himself drinking. Dean makes one more attempt to pick up Jamie and ask if she was interested in doing something tonight. And she's like, still flirty and friendly with him, but she's like, what self-respecting bar wench lets herself get picked up by a customer on the first night? Dean's like, well, I'm not a customer. I'm a federal agent. And she's like, well, try again tomorrow, G-Man. And he's like, well, there's not going to be a tomorrow. We're not staying on this case. And she's like, why? Too weird for you? And he replies, not weird enough. He was ready to just let this one go because he got turned down. Oh, well, he's not going to stay around just to try and pick her up the next night. Except something else weird happens. Doubling down on the weirdness of this case, making it just weird enough for them to stick around. Later that night, couples out parked in the woods, making out in their car And the woman is just trying to put the guy off. He's trying to push things further. 
And then she hears a wolf howl and she's like, wait, wait, what was that? It sounded like a wolf. And the guy just thinks she's putting the brakes on their making out. He's making all the, oh no, yeah, man's got to get it out of his system and causes medical problems if you don't. And she's like, that's not even true. (laughs) And good for her. But the guy finally gets so frustrated. He tells her there aren't any wolves in Pennsylvania. He's just done with her trying to distract him. And just as he says that, a werewolf smashes his window and pulls him out. And the woman screams. But it's not any werewolf like we're used to seeing. The next day, the woman is sitting in the town square by the soft pretzel stand drinking a giant soda. Sort of the way Ed Brewer was drinking out of a giant beer the night before when they interviewed him. And Sam and Dean are interviewing her, asking her what happened. She insists that the thing that tore Rick to pieces was a werewolf. Just like Ed Brewer insisted it was a vampire that killed the woman in the park the night before. She goes on to describe it as, you know, furry face and the black nose and the claws and the torn up pants and shirt. You know, like a werewolf from the old movies. And Sam and Dean are like, okay. Okay, that doesn't sound like any werewolf we have ever seen. So they're just really uncomfortable with this description. Sam and Dean next go to the morgue to see Rick's body or what's left of it. It clearly wasn't a werewolf because the heart is still there, but not a lot else is. And the teeth marks bite right through the bones even in places. So this is definitely not just some human pretending to be a kook or pretending to be a monster. It's actually something with monster strength. But now Dean and Sam both are convinced that something bizarre is going on here, even if it's not a vampire or a werewolf. The sheriff comes back in and informs Sam and Dean that the fibers found on the body were wolf hairs, canine. And Dean's just like, I'm getting a headache because... This does not make sense. This is not anything that they understand. They go back to the bar to hash out what they understand of the case so far over lunch. The wolf hair threw them off because werewolves don't grow wolf fur. That's a myth, Dean says. They're drinking out of like normal sized beer mugs with their lunch. But as they're finishing, Jamie comes over with two giant beer mugs and... Obviously, she did not believe Dean when he said Sam didn't drink at all, because she brought one for Sam, too, this time. She asks, it looks like you're staying in town a while, and then she mentions that she heard about Rick. Dean's like, yeah, this case just finally got weird enough for our division. And Jamie's like, oh, okay, beers are on me. This time, Jamie's the one who tells Dean, I get off at midnight tonight. Like, if you're staying in town... Now I'd be interested in going out with you. Dean glances over at the bar and sees Lucy, again, blotting her lipstick on the napkin and asks, oh, it's not another girl's night out? And she says, it doesn't have to be. Unfortunately for Dean, before he can even go out on his date, there's strange happenings at the local museum. The Cannonsburg Museum security guard is standing in the loading dock with something old and dusty that just showed up there. And he's calling his bosses and asking, were you expecting some delivery of some ancient Egyptian artifacts? It's just sitting here. 
while the guard's on the phone. The top of the sarcophagus slides away, and the mummy emerges from a cloud of smoke inside the coffin, rises up, and attacks the security guard. He tries to fire his gun at it several times, does nothing, of course, and then it strangles him. This is where the other cut scene is from. I don't know if it's before or after they investigate the museum, but they're watching the surveillance footage of the guard shooting the mummy and the mummy killing the guard and commenting on the tally of monsters increasing. And a mummy isn't even something they've ever heard of being real. Back to the episode as it aired... Sam finds a tag from the special effects prop house inside the coffin, meaning it's not ancient at all. Dean finds a tiny little bucket of dry ice making all the smoke. There's one thing they both agree on, though. This entire case is stupid. Nothing is real. Everything's fake, except some sort of monster is legitimately killing people. Dean realizes he's late for his date with Jamie. And he asks Sam if he'll be all right staying behind with the crazy. And Sam's like, yeah, yeah, you go. Because, like, Sam thought he was bombing out with Jamie the whole time. And Dean was legitimately flirting with her and she was legitimately flirting back. And Sam's just kind of like, okay, you, you win this time. He goes from, at the beginning of the episode, humoring Dean because what else is he supposed to do? He's kind of stuck there, you know? to humoring Dean because I think he's genuinely amused and relieved that Dean is doing as well as he is. I forgot to mention, when they were back at the bar still, Dean was just offhandedly commenting, I wonder if the Dracula can turn himself into a bat. That would be cool. Because it actually becomes relevant. Outside the beer hall, Jamie's waiting for Dean and looking at her watch because he's running late because people keep getting murdered in this town. And she's like, ah, you're lost, G-Man. And she walks away. But then she hears a strange flapping noise behind her, like a bat. And she turns, and Dracula is there. Good evening. He corners her in an alley. She rummages in her purse as he goes through his lines, calling her Mina and telling him she's the reincarnation of his beloved and he must have have her and he's stopping where the light dramatically shines across his eyes or holding his cape up the only thing that causes him to break character is getting maced in the face because she had pepper spray in her purse he wasn't really interested in attacking her or grabbing her here he just had to get his lines out you know what she had been doing was totally irrelevant to that to the point where she pepper sprayed him Dean shows up at the bar and realizes he missed his chance with Jamie, except, oh, she's come running back through, being chased by the Dracula. Dean fights with the Dracula, tells Jamie to run, and the Dracula gets him pinned against the wall, still in character, still calling Dean Mr. Harker and trying to bite his neck. Dean grabs him by the ear, trying to pull him away because Dean does not want to die. He doesn't want his neck bitten. He pulls the guy's face away and the guy's ear comes off in Dean's hand. That's what sends the vampire hissing and running away. But now Dean knows what it is. He takes off running after it. The Dracula leaps a very tall gate. Dean tries to, but it's too tall for him. And Dean's just stuck watching the Dracula ride off on a little Vespa scooter. Beep, beep. 
And then we get the intermission curtain, because like all good old movies, this one's got an intermission. Post-intermission, Dean and Jamie are back at the bar having a drink, and Sam comes in. Sam's like, so do you have some idea what's going on? And Dean's like, yeah. And he puts the ear down on the table and tells Sam to touch it. And Sam's like, uh, really? Dean asks, does it feel familiar to you? It's the skin of a shapeshifter. Just like St. Louis, just like Milwaukee. Jamie's even like, ugh. So there's no more pretense of pretending to be normal FBI agents. They figure out that this shapeshifter is reenacting his favorite movies. Sam explains who Mina and Harker are from the novel Dracula. That's another one that bugs me that Dean wouldn't know because Dean knows horror. He has seen pretty much every horror movie known to man, not to mention he knows lore. And even horror movie lore may end up someday becoming somewhat relevant to their lives as hunters. And it's exactly the sort of thing that Dean would and should know. And it just bugs me because Edlin doesn't usually make Dean out to be ignorant of stuff like that unless there's a reason he does. Because again, a lot of things in this episode are Dean in denial before finally caving and admitting, yeah, yeah, okay, whatever. Yes. But just like Sam didn't recognize the shapeshifter skin until Dean prompted him in that direction, it could just be that Dean didn't recognize the two names out of context until Sam prompted him with it. So, hey, I'll give that one a pass on that. But it gives them a direction to look in, and they ask Jamie if there's anyone who's taken a special interest in her who would feel like they knew her enough to have put her into this role of the would-be bride of Dracula. Jamie's like, well, there's Ed. You know, it could be anybody in town, but, you know, there's so many people coming through for Oktoberfest. But there's Ed who comes in pretty much every night, and Lucy insists... Not that Jamie insists. Lucy insists that Ed has a crush on her, but Jamie doesn't really see it. So, yes, when you know that Lucy is the one setting all of this up, it makes sense to set up Ed as a fall guy in this case. Ed is also the projectionist at the local movie theater, which means he's probably somebody who's interested in and or obsessed with movies especially the sorts of old movies that this particular cinema shows. As Sam is about to find out, Dean sends Sam off to look for Ed Brewer, and he stays there with Jamie. Back at the bar, Dean's having to give Jamie the talk about, yes, monsters are real. She's figuring out all most of this stuff on her own, including the fact that Dean's not really FBI, and he admits to it. She guesses that Dean and his partner travel around the country looking for some nightmare to fight all the time. And he's like, yeah, some people paint. But Dean does not get the response from Jamie that he was really expecting to. She's like, wow, that really sucks. You're giving up your life for this terrible responsibility. And Dean has to stop and think about that for a second. And this is the first time we really start to hear how hell has affected Dean. And he's telling this complete stranger, and he can't exactly come right out and say the full truth of it. 
but he agrees with her at first. He's like, yeah, the past few years, I kind of felt that way too. I didn't want to have this responsibility. I thought it kind of sucked, but that was before he looks up at her and the viewers in their mind feeling before you went to hell, before you were saved from hell. He tries to find some other way to phrase that because that's not something you just say to somebody. Uh, You know, she might be on board to believe in the monsters here, but I don't know if she'd be on board to believe that he died, went to hell, and was resurrected by an angel. That's just probably one step too far if he wants to continue actually having this nice evening with her. So he finds a softer way to say it, that he had a very near-death experience. And it made him rethink his life. He's struggling for words, trying to express himself. He's like, but ever since he woke up, he's seen it in another way. Like he's helping people, like saving them. And he thinks it's kind of awesome. He feels like he's got a mission, like a mission from God, which, hmm, that's exactly what Cass told him. God has work for you. And that's why we brought you out of hell. You very specifically needed to be rescued from hell to do this important work for God himself. Dean does not believe in God. He still doesn't even sure God is there or not. But he believes in Cass, who saved him and gave him this mission, and is telling him, we are going to avert the apocalypse, and you are important in that. I think that's the first time Dean's ever felt like he was important in anything. (laughs) Jamie asks if that makes him a monk, like celibate. And Dean's like, I really hope not. And they begin making out, at which point they are interrupted by Lucy coming into the bar and turning on the lights as if she didn't know that they were there. And she makes a big show of continuing to interrupt them and not just sneaking out like normal people would to the point where Jamie asks her to stay for a drink. And Dean's like, yeah, stay for a drink. Meanwhile, over at the Goethe Theater, where her Phantom of the Opera is apparently playing, Sam goes inside hearing organ music, the Toccata and Fugue in D minor by Bach. The whole thing is filmed like a horror movie. You see the shadows of Sam moving and all the old horror movie posters decorating the lobby. He checks his gun, makes sure he's got the silver bullets he needs to kill a shapeshifter. And then proceeds into the theater where he sees the shadow of Ed playing the giant Casio organ. He's the one playing Toccata and Fugue. And right as Sam's about to sneak up behind him on stage, he switches. And we see Ed is just in his boxers and a wife beater and just grooving out on the little bossa nova backtrack. <laughs> it's like, what the hell are you even playing, sir? Sam is even like, what the hell? But he grabs him from behind, turns him around, points the gun in his face, and Ed's like, oh my god, FBI man, what did I do? I didn't do anything. Why are you here? Rather than being polite and going on the assumption that this is just Ed Brewer, projectionist who likes to play the Casio in his undershorts, Sam's like, I know who you are. I know what you did. You had time to grow the ear back and he reaches up and grabs Ed's ear and Ed just starts screaming because that's his ear. And Sam's like, this is supposed to come off. And Ed's like, no, it isn't. (laughs) And that's when Sam realizes he's got the totally wrong guy. 
this guy is completely innocent. He just makes a face at him and probably politely excuses himself. But we cut back to the bar where Dean and Jamie are talking with Lucy, telling her about their encounter with the Dracula guy. And Lucy's like, oh, that sounds scary. Jamie is acting way more drunk than she should be. And Dean is concerned. He's like, Jamie? And he's also, like, doing the slow blink thing and the, like, what's wrong with me? And then we get an old-time movie effect of the glass on the table in front of him turning into, like, six glasses and spinning around each other as the whoopsie-doodle music plays. Like, oh, something's going on here. I love just all the old-time movie techniques that they incorporated into this episode. As Dean's realizing something's affecting him, Lucy's making comments about the fight, like, oh, you must be like a black belt. They must train you to fight at the academy, right? And he reaches out and punches her from across the table, and she falls to the ground. Dean pushes past Jamie, who basically flops back onto the bench seat after Dean stands up, like, passed out unconscious. Dean stands over Lucy, and he's like, it's you, isn't it? And she looks up at him, and her jaw is, like, completely dislocated where he punched her, and she just pops it back into place, and then he just kicks her away again, and he's like, oh, God, what did you put in our drinks? He smashes a bottle against the edge of the table like he was going to use it as a weapon. I don't know what good that would do against a shapeshifter, except annoy it, probably. (laughs) But he didn't have any other weapon on him that he thought to use. But as soon as he gets it smashed, he turns to fight Lucy and he passes out cold on the floor. The next time Dean wakes up, he's living in the Frankenstein portion of this episode. He is strapped to a table, wearing lederhosen, so the Dracula redressed him completely to fit the aesthetic he wanted for him. As Dean's looking around this dungeon place, the Dracula comes back in. There's a painting of a woman on a wall. It's Lucy, but he says it's also the original bride of Dracula in a movie, and that's why he took her form. But then he found what he insists is the reincarnation of her in Jamie. Dean, though, is just not having any of this. He's like, you know, you're not Dracula. And even if you think you are Dracula, what's up with the mummy? Like, pick an identity and stick with it. You know, you were Lucy, you were Dracula, you're the mummy, you're the wolfman. He replies, I am all monsters. He takes ownership of every single monster in film. Dean's like, life's not a movie. And Dracula punches him again. Dracula here appreciates the grandness and elegance of the movies, as opposed to life, which is small. Dean's like, you really think elegance is the word after what you did to all those people who you killed? And he's like, well, it is a monster movie after all, so yes. Dean's like, you do understand what happens at the end of every monster movie, right? And the Dracula's like, yes, but this movie is mine. And in it, the monster gets the girl. And the hero gets electrocuted. And he's like, tells Dean, and tonight, you are my hero. He's going to be electrocuted. He's reaching slowly up for a switch. And it becomes comically long for him to grab the switch. And he never even gets a hand on it 
when the doorbell rings. And Dean's like, what the hell? He's like ready to die thinking he's going to be electrocuted. And instead, doorbell. And Dracula wraps his cape around his face and is like, excuse me for a moment. And runs off to answer the doorbell. Which, okay, outside of the stone dungeon room where Dean is, the rest of the house looks like suburbia. Just normal hallway. It's got a little office room with a computer in it in the background and some random artwork on the walls. You know, nothing creepy or anything, just totally normal. He opens the door and it's the pizza delivery man, which means he set all of this up. He was probably waiting to pull the switch on Dean until the doorbell rang. Or he wouldn't have timed it exactly for when he expected the pizza delivery guy to be there. If you're going to electrocute somebody and kill them, maybe best not call the pizza delivery man at all until you're done with all the screaming part of it, you know. Because that would be, the you know, your luck that that would be when the guy showed up and called the cops on you. Anyway. He never breaks character with this guy. He's like, oh, you have brought a repast. Like, dude, (laughs) he's really, really cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs here. He takes the pizza out and he's like, yeah, that'll be $15.50. And the Dracula guy's like, tell me, is there garlic on this pizza? And the poor delivery dude's just like, God, am am I playing this guy's game at all? And he just refuses to play the role that Dracula would want him to. Who knows what he even wants from a pizza delivery guy, you know? But the guy's just like rolling his eyes like, why is this my life? (laughs) He's like, did you order garlic? If not, then no, there's no garlic on this pizza. But, you know, like most pizza has garlic on it because garlic's in tomato sauce. I mean, I hope people make their pizza with garlic. At least some for flavor. I make my pizza very garlicky. So (laughs) if you don't like garlic, you're in trouble at my house. Or if you're Dracula, apparently. Anyway, when he finally is like, dude, I have four other orders to deliver. Just pay so I can leave now. The Dracula guy's like, oh, okay. But I have a coupon. (sighs) I have no idea what elegant role he thinks he's playing, but it's sort of like Chuck's story overall, isn't it? Really, just think about it, that he wants everybody else to play in his story, and he'll play whatever part he wants to, and he'll be the monster who ends up winning the day and killing the, the big heroes of it. How well'd that go over? It went over a lot better for Chuck. But, you know, he's God. He's not just some random shapeshifter. Meanwhile, back at the bar, Sam comes in, finds Dean and Jamie gone, assumes that they've gone back to Jamie's place for whatever they intended to do, and just leaves a little message about Ed not being the guy, and they'll figure it out tomorrow after Dean's done with Jamie. And then Sam looks around and sees the broken bottle on the floor. He sees the three glasses on the table, and he sees Lucy's trademark lipstick-smudged napkin that she'd been dropping all over the place the entire episode, and Sam puts the pieces together and realizes that Lucy is our shapeshifter. Meanwhile, in another room that's made up to look like a stone, this one's not a dungeon, though, 
It's a fancy bedroom, old castle, tiny, and Jamie's laid out on a huge bed. As she begins to wake up, Dracula is across the room. He's like, ah, you're awake. Dracula insists she puts on this gown because it suits your beauty. And she's not having it. She's just looking around this creepy, stony, ancient looking room. Like, where the hell am I? And where's Dean? Dracula says he's occupied in another room. He tells her to put on the gown and then we can dine. We are having pizza. And there's a table set up with the pizza on a little plate and a bottle of wine. And Jamie is putting all the pieces together. She's like, what is wrong with you? You made up Lucy, didn't you? It was all just a ruse. You pretended to be my friend. Dracula's like, well, I needed to know if you were the one. And Jamie's like, you could just try talking to people. Instead, you do this. He just goes back to insisting she wear the dress. And she's like, I don't want to play your stupid game. I just want to go home. And that breaks him out of character. He just yells, put on the gown. That at least terrifies her into compliance. Meanwhile, at the front door, Sam is breaking in. He figured out where Lucy's house was and went there and enters with a gun at the ready. Back in the bedroom, Jamie's wearing the gown now, and she looks really unhappy about all of this, but terrified as well. And Dracula has still not resumed character. He says, and I scared you. And you're the only one I didn't want to scare. No weird accent. No putting on a character here. This is as close to seeing the shapeshifter that we get in the entire episode. He says, I just love the movies. And Jamie's like, but they're not real. You can't just make them real. And Dracula's like, this is the way I was born, though. He goes on to describe his childhood, where his father called him a monster and tried to beat him to death with a shovel. He ran away. Everywhere he ran to, people would find him and pull him out and call him a freak and a monster. Until he found the movies and the great monsters who were terrifying and commanding, Jamie adds, and lonely. He says he was lonely, but now he has her. And she's like, do you ever think you're lonely because you kill people? Still not even showing the least bit sympathy and good for her. And he's like, maybe I kill people because I'm lonely. There's a noise from outside the room, something getting knocked over, probably Sam. (laughs) And he's like, did you hear that? And then he continues to listen and she realizes it's not just him trying to change the subject or something, but there's a real noise out there somewhere. And she starts screaming because she assumes it must be Dean. She starts screaming his name. Dracula slaps her across the face and knocks her out. And then he is once again horrified with himself. This woman who was the only one he didn't want to scare. The one he wanted to join him in his weird life. Kidnapping somebody and trying to force them into playing your movie partner is probably not the best approach, though. Meanwhile, back in Dean's dungeon, he's still strapped to the electrocution table and struggling to get out. So it was likely not him that made any noise. It's Sam coming in and finding a tool to unlatch the metal bars holding Dean down and free him before he could be, in Dean's words, Frankensteined. Sam calls Dean Hansel because of his later hosen, 
And Dean's like, shut up. It's not like he chose this outfit. But he hands Dean a silver knife, so at least they're both armed with something that can hurt the shapeshifter. And then they get to another huge door. Dean gestures to Sam like, you do the honors, kicking it down. Sam kicks the door, puts his foot directly through it, and then the whole thing just falls down off its hinges. It was like a totally fake door. Makes you wonder, did he just movie prop his entire house this way? Because, of course, they would be on a movie set. They are in the Supernatural set. Like, if they're ever in, like, a dungeon-looking room and with stone walls like this, it's just painted styrofoam. So, like, is that the conceit here that, yes, it really is just how this guy did his house? And, yep, because when Sam sneaks into the room where Jamie is still unconscious on the bed... He doesn't notice the Dracula behind him, who then flings him through a wall. And yep, he goes right through the styrofoam. And Dracula refers to Sam as Van Helsing. Dean comes in behind and attacks him. And of course, Dracula gets the upper hand on him yet again. He's like, ah, Harker, now you die. And Dean's like, yeah, now you shut up. But Dean has lost his gun in the fight. He sees a gun on the ground and he's about to go for it. But Dracula punches him and flings him off the other way. He raises his arms up in the air, makes the hissing noise like Dracula, like he's going in for the kill on Dean. And two gunshots ring out, and there's two gunshots in the front of his shirt. And we think, oh gosh, was it Sam? And then we turn around and see, it was Jamie. She picked up the gun. He still manages to very dramatically enact his death scene when he sees it's Jamie. He's like, ah, Mina, t'was beauty that slayed the beast. As he slumps down into a chair, he's like, perhaps this is how the movie should end. Not with the monster winning and getting the girl and defeating the heroes, but succumbing just like every movie monster ever did. I mean, we know in much later seasons, when Dean talks about his love of horror movies, because you always know how they're going to end, and they always end the same way, well... His own story should have ended the same way, too. I love the fact that this show is so much about storytelling. Anyway, back to the show. The monster is slain. Denouement. The next morning, Dean and Jamie are out in the square again, having a long kiss goodbye. Dean just seems in a generally very good mood. Sam's watching from behind him, and even Sam seems kind of pleased that Dean is in such a good mood. Sam and Dean start walking away, and she's like, you guys, you know, you saved my life, so thank you. And then goes right on into work at the bar. Sam's just like, I like her. And I'm like, yeah, Sam, I do too. Dean's just like, yeah, it feels good to be back on the job, doesn't it? We actually saved somebody. We did what we're supposed to do. We got the monster. We got the girl. We saved the day. Saved the town. Saved Oktoberfest. Dean's like, maybe the monster had a point, though. Wouldn't it be nice if life was movie simple? Everything ends up exactly as it's supposed to. Yeah, but I wouldn't pick this Abbott and Costello crap. Sam's like, yeah, I know what you'd pick. And Dean's like, no, you don't. Sam's like, yes, I do. Dean's like, nah. And Sam just comes out with Porky's too. Dean is shocked by this. He's like, what'd you say? Sam's like, you heard me. And Dean just stares at him for a second. It's like, yeah, lucky guess. Like he was going to deny it. Sam gave him the chance to just deny it or walk away or he didn't. 
he accepted it. And that's how the episode ends. Dean having five minutes of faith in his mission, which doesn't happen very often for him. He believes in what he's doing intensely. And he's coming to have faith in something other than himself, not in God or the mission that God supposedly gave him, but in this belief that Cass is instilling in him. And it's another reason that I refuse to believe that Dean really did not remember hell when he first got back. I think it's what's prompting him to actually let himself believe in someone else, in something else, in a bigger mission. This mission from God that he's beginning to believe might be a real thing, or at least something good that can benefit him. Anyway, this whole episode is like a weird meta microcosm of the entire series of having to play your roles being characters in somebody else's story while yet retaining their free will. It's such a good metaphor for Dean's struggles in season 15, being forced to play a character he does not want to play and feeling like he has little to no recourse against the force putting him into that story over and over again. Every iteration of the story that the creator could imagine and Dean just gets stuck and planted right back in it which is pretty prescient considering this was season four, right after he was first resurrected and first informed that, yes, he's one of the main characters in God's little story here. And in that context, the rest of the series is just perfect. It all went back to the same story. And the fact that at the end of the day, none of these characters were freed from that story will forever grind my gears, I swear. This is becoming absolutely the longest it's ever taken me to record an episode of this show. I am just completely flatlined. It's like 5.30 in the morning. I really need to go to sleep. (laughs) This should never have taken me this long. Next week, we will be watching Season 4, Episode 6, Yellow Fever, where Dean will continue his little short run of feeling good about things briefly before it all starts to crash down around him again. Until then, you can find me on Tumblr and Twitter at MittensMorgul or at SPNGeorge. You can find me on Discord at Mittens hashtag 4865. Or you can email me at MittensMorgul at gmail.com. And I look forward to talking to everybody again soon. And hopefully I will be more coherent next week and have a more coherent synopsis of the episode because holy crap did I even make a summary of this episode when it ended or did I just like stop talking at some point I don't know there's birds tweeting outside how did that happen anyway hopefully my brain will be improving weekly from here on out because this cannot continue (laughs) have a good one everyone